Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 136, week 136, volume 136, number fucking 136. How you going guys, how's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Devon of the Acacia Strain, and that will be coming up later in the show. Kick things off with feedback, questions, what's been going on. We had an overwhelming amount of response to last week's show, which was Martin of Terror. So thank you to everyone that commented. Thank you to everyone that shared. Thank you to everyone that reached out. Seeing this stuff, seeing this interaction from the community makes all of this work that goes into this show worthwhile. Putting this show together takes a lot of time, takes a lot of effort, but it's worth it. And when you see that people are enjoying it, makes it even more worth it. So thank you to everyone that got into last week's show, whether you're a normal, regular listener of the show, or you'd only discovered us last week. Also, big shout out to Stephen for reaching out and asking some questions and kind of just giving some positive feedback. As he said, in a nutshell, he can't understand why the Mosh Zone isn't bigger after 135 episodes. And, you know, while it is perplexing at times, we do need to remember this show is just run by an ordinary dude, just like yourselves listening. I'm not in a band. I wasn't in a band. So my pulling power for the show isn't on the scale of these other shows. But the pulling power is there because you look at the guests we've had. It's been outstanding. And it's only going to get better. So everyone that you know that might like The Mosh Zone, tell them about The Mosh Zone. This isn't a celebrity-run podcast. This is a podcast run by a normal dude that loves his heavy music. Just like you guys that listen to it, because you love your heavy music. So stick with us. The show is only going to get bigger and better. And thank you to all of you that tune in. So enough of the ramblings. Let's get into the main part of the show. This week, I got to sit down with Devon of the Acacia Strain. First thing I got to say, thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. So Devon, the guitar whiz, the man himself, as we know, is now in the Acacia Strain, but he used to be in Rose Funeral for a little bit. He was also in Oceano for a little bit. He's been in the Acacia Strain since 2013 and currently had his name on four albums. As a lifetime Acacia Strain fan, I'm stoked to get Devin on the show. Was everything I wanted and more. Such a nice dude, such great content. I hope you enjoy this chat as much as I did. That chat with Devin is coming up now. So everyone gets the first question the same. And that is, you know, when you were young, do you remember a band or an artist that you were early on obsessed with that kind of opened music into existence at a young age? Well, I always heard... You know, we, we always listened to like the rock radio stations when I was a kid. And I want to say when I was probably around nine, 
which would have been 96. I think that's when Metallica's Reload came out. Mm-hmm. And uh, somewhere around then. And so it was getting a lot of radio play. And that was like when I first started, like, I wasn't just listening to what, like, you know, just my parents were listening to in the car. It was like, oh, I'd turn on the radio in my room. So I was like, the radio hits from that record were like probably the first songs where I'm like, I like these and I'm not liking these because somebody else likes them. I just enjoyed them. And, you know, once you discover that band discography, you can, like a lot of people are like, oh yeah, those, those records suck. And compared to the first four, obviously they're not, they're not that great. They're very different, but there's still some really strong songwriting there. And I think had I not heard songs like until it sleeps or, um, hero of the day, I might not have backtracked and might not have found heavier stuff that I like that, uh, is why we're here having this conversation. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I was uh, a little bit older, but I remember those albums load and reload really fondly as well. You know, I think understandably, as you said, they're not as well loved by the diehards for the earlier stuff, but they are solid. Yeah. They are still pretty rocking fucking albums, like still good albums. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people, you, especially with those, those, I mean, those first four records are just fantastic, as is the Black Album. That one gets overlooked a lot by, like, mm. those kind of people, but it's, that record, that record fucks. <laughs> um, I just, I think if they would have kept trying to do it when they were, like, they didn't have the same, like, things to write about, I think. Like, they weren't, you know, when they wrote Kill Em All and Ride the Lightning, they're, they were nobodies, mm. and they had to, like, they didn't have that same fire. It's, it's, it changed a bit. So they were like, this is just what we feel like writing. And sure. You can be like, Oh, they sold out, but like they were really just doing what they felt like doing as, instead of just phoning it in and trying to write, you know, master of puppets part two. Um, they might not be my favorite records, but I still have respect for them. Yeah. And it kind of brings up an interesting thing without jumping too far forward. I think sometimes fans forget that being in a band that has the longevity and being around and established for so long, and it's a, you know, we look at it in the same kind of vein with Acacia Strain, you need to creatively appease yourself first and foremost. You know, you don't want to just do the same thing all the time, but then the problem with that is some fans expect it, so they say, where's the same music? And then if you don't do yeah. the same music, they say you're changing too much. Right. It's, you have, there's a fine line you have to walk where you're you're doing enough new and enough, like, paying respect to what you've done in the past that it's just it feels on if you go way too far outside the box everyone's like what the hell are they doing and if it's too much the same you it's, it's really hard to please people so you just have to not try to please people hmm. um a good way I, I try to explain it to people is um think when you're in a band that's been around granted i was not an original member or anything but being a band that's been around for almost 20 years um imagine you got a job in high school and you're in your late thirties and you still have that same job. Like you would hope that you've changed and become higher up in the company, but then you'd have somebody like, Oh man, you used to be the cashier. Like that sucks. You're not the cashier anymore. And it's like, well, <laughs> you got to expect me to grow a little bit. <laughs> I've been doing the same thing for this long. Like, yeah. It's, it, it's a, uh, it, and even, even musically, there, you know, guys that were in a band when they were teenagers that are now doing something completely different. Like, yeah, imagine imagine that 20 years later, you're still playing those songs you wrote when you're 17, 18 years old. 
it'd be like, oh, it'd be kind of weird. It's like, a yeah. damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of approach. Um, yeah. And I think sometimes fans of any band, you know, Metallica, Acacia Strain, anything, I think they forget that, you know, you guys, when you can tour, you are playing these songs, you know, X amount of days nonstop. You got to want to have it a little bit different sometimes. You know, you got to yeah, want to do and, it. And don't get me wrong. I love playing old songs. I I love that there's people that have such a strong connection to those songs that they're like, they want to hear them because, you know, because of people like that, I can do, I, I can do this. And when we're able to tour, like, Oh, Hey, I can pay my bills from playing guitar. That's fucking stupid, <laughs> but cool. Mm-hmm. I like it. And if it means I have to play songs a million times in a row, like, sure, that's fine. I'd rather do that than, you know, work a job that I hate. Mm. Now we we meant you know let's come back to what we were talking about with Metallica. So you kind of your world's open to this kind of music that you can discover. So yeah, where does your musical discovery go from there? Do you start kind of deep diving just into Metallica, or do you start doing the classic looking at who they tour with, their liner notes? I mean, where do you go with your discovery um, path? So back then it was a lot of radio mm-hmm. and. Not necessarily MTV, because um, at that point in time they they weren't playing as much music. They still had it was the late '90s at that point, so they probably they still had like Headbangers Ball and all that. But um, I was just kind of listening to the the heavy stuff on the radio. Um, didn't really have the internet to go and look up bands. There was no Spotify. Um, you'd occasionally you'd go to Media Play, which was the music mm-hmm. store. Um, where I lived and pick up new CDs. I remember going and they would always try to, you'd do like pre-orders, which we, you know, we still do today, but you'd go in, in the store and they, they could see like, oh, this is some kid I'm like, Hey, did you, they're like, did you order the new Slipknot record? And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I don't even know who that is, but I'm like, no, I'll order it. And <laughs> You know that I did that with the the first Lincoln Park record, pre-ordered it because my I, my grandma would take me to the mall and she'd give me like ten dollars to go buy a CD, and of course I would like pre-order something. So she's like, "Cool, we have to come back now." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, but it was all very standard up to there, and then uh, I want to say in like sixth grade, one of my friends had the very first um, CKY like VHS video. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I heard like CKY is on there, but then there were a bunch of like death metal bands and like, I'd already listened to stuff like Slayer and just from you, you get there from Metallica. So when I would hear stuff like Slipknot, which is, you know, a band I respect greatly, but they didn't really do anything for me. Cause I'm like, okay, well I already have heard fast double bass and all that stuff. So it wasn't like for a lot of people that was the, their doorway into heavy they heard that and they went whoa um but i was hearing bands like um like death and love on creation stuff that i found through like the band cky who was one of those bands that was for me like you know my parents listened to metallica so it was like my my mom went and saw them when cliff burton was still in the band so it was kind of it wasn't a band I discovered on my own. For me, CKY was like the first band that I was like, 
I found like it felt like I found them. Like it's like nobody else knows about this band. And then they're on uh Jackass and they're playing ninety six quite bitter beings and they got huge and I'm like just kind of felt like I was along for the ride. And then we funny enough, you know, a couple years back on Warp Tour, they were on it too. So it was really cool to be like on a tour with, you know, one of your favorite like defining bands that helped you get into everything else. That CKY video, I mean, I remember as well, like, you know, there was like Bodum on there. I think Demu was yeah. on there. You know, it really was quite yeah, a... Yeah, the second one. Yeah, and it was quite a uh, reaching, you know, demographic for fans. You know, you might not necessarily get into the music straight away, but it exposed you to more music. Yeah, absolutely. Because from there I bought, I got a lot of like BMX, because, you know, back then everybody... Everybody had Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, so everybody picked up a skateboard. And then, you know, like, I wasn't very good at that. So, but then I had friends that rode BMX, so I'd do that. And I was, I was buying bike videos. And there was one called, uh, was from a company, Little Devil, mm. I think. I think it was Little Devil, but the video is called uh, Seek and Destroy. And it had, like, Bad Luck 13 Riot Extravaganza, all this, like, crazy, like, heavy music in it. And you're like, yeah. And it's just you find this subculture that has all this connectivity with like hardcore and metal. It was floodgates opened with, with heavy music, you know, some, as we know, some people connect with it. Some people don't. So for you, um, what actually do you think there's a reason why you got drawn into it? Like, can you think in your mind, you know, why heavy music of all things, why not country music or folk music? What drew you into metal? Um, well, I think speaking on behalf of our like fan base, I think all the people that come to our shows, the people that are like diehard fans of us, they're all, it's, they're all damaged in some way, just as I feel like I probably was as well. And it's like, Hey, this music is angry. Like I am Mm. it's going, whoever wrote this probably was, I, I understand this. It feels like it was speaking to me. Whereas I'd hear country music and it makes me want to punch somebody in the head but not like in a good way i'm just like i hate this this is the worst thing i've ever heard in my life now i can hear something and be like i respect your musicianship i don't like this but sure um and it's funny a lot of a lot of my friends that listen to like heavier stuff in high school and all that you'll you'll talk to them years later and they're like oh people still listen to that and i'm like what the hell and they're, they're like they just like grow out of it. And I always kind of call those people tourists. Like mm. that's what your friends are into right now. So you're into it. And I just, it never left for me. I, I get my musical tastes just get more and more narrow as I get older. Well, I feel like a lot of it, like I still like other things, but it's just, it used to be, we'd be on tour and after the show with like, whoever's driving, it's like, Oh, do you want to listen to metal in the van? And, and now I'm like, I'm driving. It's just like, Ugh, just <laughs> fucking blasting. I'm like, yes. <laughs> oh, I think everyone listening and everyone as a fan of Acacia Train can, I think, can identify with that. You know, I was the same, the rebellious, uh, broken. You know, and the sense of community and the sense of belonging um, is what you feel at a young age in the heavy music game. Um, you mentioned about your parents being into Metallica, so I mean, obviously. In some ways, did it help that the music you were listening to wasn't frowned upon in the household? I think so, because I had a lot of friends that, like, you know, they were, like, 
in middle school, they'd wear a, a slipknot shirt or whatever, and then they're like constantly getting in trouble because they're like rebelling against their parents or their parents are frowning. I never rebelled because I, I always felt like, oh, what I'm doing is okay. What I like is okay. Like all of my bands all through high school, like we practiced at my house because we were allowed to. Like my friends were always over. I was like, you know, the cops would get called on our house because our neighbors would be like, they're playing. Someone's playing drums at two in the morning. And my mom's like, I don't give a shit. Like, maybe, maybe don't play that late. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and, you know, that gave me a, a safe place to grow up. I think like it fostered, I think me being a, I like to think I'm a good person. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't go, I never, I wasn't going out and like getting into trouble. I was just at home playing guitar or playing drums or, you know, sitting on the internet, but, um, yeah, like a lot of my, I have, I had friends that were like getting arrested all the time because they were, they were into the same stuff, but they're like, I can't be at home all the time. Mm. You know, I can't listen to my music. I can't do this. My parents are not, not treating me right. And it sucked to see that. Cause like, I couldn't relate to it at the time. I'm like, Oh, you can just come over here. But I know that that's not a fix to that problem. Cause it's still at some point they have to go home. And for them, it was, you know, metal was that escape. And I didn't really need to escape anything. I just, I enjoyed it and it it spoke to me and it, uh, I think it kept me from going down the path when my friends did back then. Yeah. I mean, that's quite empowering just to hear, you know, not only with the, feeling safe at home to listen and play and everything, but also the looking back the path that, you know, some people would say, oh, the the heavy satanic music. Well, actually, you know, for not everyone it is. It, it is a sense of um, normality. Um, and for you, it was right. normality. You mentioned instruments in there, and obviously everyone listening knows that you play the axe. So do you remember a reason or a moment that you wanted to start playing an instrument because some people just listen to heavy music and that's <coughs> enough for them. But obviously for you, an instrument was something you wanted to pursue. Yeah. Um, I can't even remember the first point in time that I really wanted to play something like I had always liked hearing stuff. And then when I was in, fifth grade like that's when we were able to join band in school and i played drums and spent four years in band like doing percussion all that stuff so drums is my first instrument like i can read read drum music sight read all that stuff and when it comes to guitar if you put stuff in front of me i can tell you like oh that's 16th notes but i can't i you know there's a scale and i'm like i don't know what the hell that says uh but my ears have been trained really well. So I'm really good at hearing stuff. Like Tom could tell you as well. Like when it's, especially when we're learning older songs that, you know, like, Oh, we, we didn't write these songs. So we have to listen through and learn them. And I'm the one, usually one that's like, Nope, that's, we're off a little bit on that. It's, it's just being able to hear it and piece everything together. And I think part of it was back in the day when I was learning songs, you know, every guitar player is looking up guitar tabs and, guitar tabs to this day for like most heavy stuff, heavy stuff, it's wrong. Mm. And, but especially back then, like you got to think like 99 to 2001, like that range of like looking up 
uh, you know, morbid angel tabs. It's like, this is just wrong. The tuning's not even correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you just, you go like, all right, well, this, this sounds right. And you just get better at doing that until it's like, I can hear something and be like, oh, cool. That's what's going on here. And I think for our kind of music as well, the percussion background helps a bit because some of the chuggy stuff, you almost look at the guitar as a percussion instrument. Um, so it helps to bridge the gap between what we're doing. And it helps too when we're like writing something and I have an idea for what I would like to hear on drums that I can just say like, do something like this and know what I'm talking about as opposed to some guitar players where they're like, uh, do do a, a ska beat and they're like, what is that? <laughs> so, I mean, you kind of, you're getting into the world of um, instruments and you've got a safe place to obviously rehearse at home and develop your style and obviously it's progressing your passion. But when you kind of start picking up the guitar, do you have an idol or an inspiration that you're looking at and you're saying, the way he does things, what he's doing, if I can reach that level, then I'm happy? You know, when I first picked up the guitar, I did not. I I had... So I used to get, like, the, the heavy metal magazines, and they would, of course, have ads for guitars in there. And I was in... I, I know I was in sixth grade only because, like, that was the only year, like, I really liked Korn. Mm-hmm. And... And that's just a band I kind of I kind of grew out of, um, but at the time I was like, wow! But they they put out the K7 guitar, and I was like, wow! I really want one of those because they did see the ads in, you know, the heavy metal magazines. And unbeknownst to me, this was a fourteen hundred dollar guitar, and I am a child in sixth grade, <laughs> so I'm telling my mom like, this is what I want for Christmas, and needless to say, it didn't happen. Hmm. Um, but I got, I could tell there was a guitar case like under the tree and I'm like, oh, there it is. I'm getting it. And I opened it up and it was a, the brand was Excel and it was an acoustic guitar. And it was, looking back, like I, sh- I should have been more appreciative like right off the bat, but it's, I was a kid. Mm. And so I, it was kind of like when a kid opens clothes, like mm. you're expecting one thing and you're like, <laughs> Thank you. And I'm pretty, it, it sat in my room for probably three or four months before I finally ended up picking it up. And I was like, had it sitting on my lap all like the top of the guitar was like this. And I'm just like messing with it. And I was like, oh, well, I can. This kind of makes sense to me. Like at least the first few frets, I want to say I figured out how to do like the little little part from that song Lowrider by hey, War. Yeah. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. I was like, oh, I kind of understand how this works. And uh, eventually I had a friend who had a cheap uh, harmony, like just a cheap electric guitar. It only had five strings on it because it was missing a tuner. Um, he gave that to me. I ended up trading that to another guy who had like a knockoff Strat that was, it had all the strings on it, but the electronics didn't work. So it was just like <laughs> never ending game of like, non-functional guitars uh i ended up getting an epiphone sg from the local music store media play the cd place and uh ended up trying to do a guitar spin like didn't understand didn't know what strap locks were 
guitar flew off. The neck shattered into like a million pieces. I tried to blame it on the cat and said like, oh, the cat tripped me when I was coming down the stairs, <laughs> hoping that my mom would be like, okay, well, we'll get you another one. No, <laughs> that didn't work. So um, my mom's boyfriend at the time was an electrician, and we kind of sat and figured out how to take the electronics from the broken guitar and put them into the guitar that didn't work. So that ended up kind of opening up the door to me for like guitar modifications, which is something I've done and turned into like my own business several times where I'm just doing repairs, setups, all that stuff. And I ended up over the years, I've learned from some of the best people out there for that, but it was a lot to get me to a working guitar. So when I finally had it, I was like, that's all I wanted to do. Wait. Because it took so much work to get something that I could play. Well, I mean, in many ways, it probably, you skipped a few steps, but it probably also made you, you know, you mentioned about the one at Christmas and all of this, but probably in the long run, it did make you appreciate the guitar when you probably actually got to a functioning guitar. Oh, yeah. Mm. It was, because I had friends that, like, they'd had their first guitars, like somebody bought them an electric starter pack or whatever, and or they had a nicer guitar, but because they hadn't had to put in like the kind of work that I had to get something they could play. It was just like, I just sat in the corner. Like I was always playing my guitar. Cause I was like, yes, finally. Now with, with high school, you know, people listening, you know, it's a question I always ask everyone, you know, at school, do you, you've mentioned there was bands you're in obviously, but did you see a path where music was your only focus or were you one of those kids like some people are and a lot of people are where music was a hobby and there was a focus that you were more determined to follow that wasn't music. I mean, music was, I got to say probably my main focus from like middle school on. Um, I want to say sixth and seventh grade, like, I basically, I did so poorly in school that I had to, I had to do summer school two years in a row, mm-hmm. um, which for Australian, cause you guys have year round school, correct? Mm-hmm. So ours is, we go for, uh, from like late August to May oh, wow. and have the whole summer okay. off. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you, if you do badly and fail, you ha- you're given the option to either repeat or you can do like a few weeks of summer school. And I wasn't that I was like bad at school. I just like, I'm not doing homework. I want to go home and play guitar. Hmm. And I would like, you know, lie and be like, oh, I finished my homework in school. No, I just wasn't turning it in. And then I would do summer school and do like, you know, four weeks of in class work. And summer school went from like 8 a.m. to noon. So it wasn't even a long day because I was just like, oh, I just want to get this done with so I can play guitar. And like I, I still did band and everything, and I wanted to continue that into high school, but they wanted me to either, I could either do marching band, which I didn't want to do. All I wanted to do was play in jazz band because you could play drum set, um, but they wouldn't let you do that. You had to either be in marching band or you could be in marching band, concert band, and jazz band. I'm like, well, then I don't have time to do, to play guitar. So I just gave up on it. Um and spent the like freshman year of high school I was just playing as much as I could trying to find bands and uh most of them I wasn't trying to play guitar in bands I was trying to play drums in bands but every band I knew all my friends had drummers in their bands so 
I ended up jamming with one of my friends for a while. Um, Kevin, who is actually, he's our tour manager now. So we've, we've been together since, you know, we were kids and our friend Rob came to play with us one day and I was like showing him stuff on guitar, like, Oh, let's play something like this. And I was playing drums and he was kind of talking shit like at school and I overheard it, but it, it really like changed my life. And I've told him this recently, like, cause he was like, I like, I don't know why he's trying to be, he's like, he's not very good at drums. I don't know why he's trying to be a drummer. He's but way better at guitar. And I'm like, mm. okay, maybe I should play guitar more. Like I was already playing it a lot, but I was like, maybe I should stop trying to be a drummer. Um, ended up joining some friends bands to play bass because they needed somebody. And I was like, all right, I'll get a bass. So I did that. And eventually we kicked out the other guitar player and I swooped in. And then that was a band that we started sophomore year high school. And we toured from, we went on our first tour in 2006 and toured for like three years. Um, was that the 1931 band? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that was our, our bass player is, Kevin, who Ollie, we call him Ollie because we have Kevin in our band as well. Mm. Um, but he's he's our tour manager. Um, and everybody's gone on to do different things. Like guitar player Jason, he's uh, he plays in a band called The End of the Ocean, who's on Equal Vision Records. Um, our singer DJ, he's he's like a videographer. He was living in L.A. for a while. He just moved to Denver. He's but he's got like his own successful business. Everyone's kind of gone on to do cool things. Um, but yeah, it was just, I always, all I want to do was play music. I, I had no fallback plan, which I think is something you have to do for when you really want to pursue a certain path. If, cause a lot of my friends I would see that were like also doing bands and stuff like that. They're also like, oh, I'm going to college for this. Like it's, you know, it's just a fallback. And I'm like, yeah, but you, you're focusing so much of your time on your fallback that you're not focusing on this because you're so convinced that like, that's a pipe dream. And it's really anybody can be, you know, a professional musician if they just put in the time and effort to make it happen, like learn from every single mistake. You're going to make a lot of them just say, Oh, well, I better not do that again and keep pushing forward. Well, you're right. It's though, difficult, you, but you're right though. I've you have to, to be all in. This. You have to put all the chips in because you can't, yeah, and I think that goes for, you know, a lot of aspects of life. You have to be all in, um, music especially. Yeah, you, know? you have to believe in yourself. Because mm-hmm. if you have that fallback, it's because you don't, you're not 100% confident that you're going to make it happen. And music is a lot, you know, as you said, about mistakes, about learning from it, but it's also music's a lot about the sacrifices that you need to make. Um, oh, yeah. The sacrifices you make, while aren't easy and not everyone can make them, but if you're willing to, the hard work will pay off. You will get to where yeah. you want to go. Yeah, because there are bands out there, like, I'm not going to, like, shit talk anybody, but there's bands out there that I think are horrible, Hmm. like, songwriting-wise, as as musicians, but they put in the work, so I at least have that level of respect for them for, like, hey, you're you're not taking no for an answer, you're just going for it, and you're building a fan base. I respect that. Hmm. They usually say talent, talent only gets you so far. I mean, that's what they say. It really does. Hmm. New kids growing up that were just shredders but that's it they didn't know how to like write a song or push forward and be like let's start a band and let's keep going just you can't give up 
and it's really easy to give up. With the um, 1931, you know, that was obviously kind of, we'll say that's kind of the real band that started your foray into music and live music and that kind of stuff. But locally, when you were getting that band out to play live, were you seeing that there was um, an, a band going around that could show that touring was a thing or that you could make it out of the town? Like, were you seeing that you couldn't, you wouldn't just be stuck in your town playing shows forever, that you could get out? Yeah. Um, because this is, we started playing, it, it turned into a thing where, like, there was a venue called the Al Rosa Villa, which is it's a place where Dimebag Daryl was shot. It's, mm, okay. Some people like it, some people hate the place, um, but they've been, in, it was a notorious, like, pay to play venue where it's like, Oh, you can play, you can open up for this tour package, but you have to pay, you have to sell a hundred tickets and any tickets you don't sell, you have to pay for. And it's, it's hard to do that sometimes. Like, especially if you like we're where, where I live is kind of on the edge of the city, like in kind of getting into the country. So it wasn't like I had a huge group of people to take tickets to. And <clears throat> we did that like one time we ended up having to pay like 200 bucks out of pocket and I don't even remember who we played with. It sucked. It was just not a good show. So we were like, okay, well all these bands on MySpace, they have like emails and they have booking contacts. So we just started booking our own shows. We would book bands we wanted to play with and just put the show on and people, enough people would pay to come and see that band that, you know, we'd be able to pay them. We'd, we'd make some money off of it too. And it would pay to like, Oh, we're going to get shirts made now. Wow. Um, but you, you know, we booked bands like one of the first, like the faceless and animosity, like one of their first tours together. We booked that we booked, um, actually Griffin, he wasn't in the band at the time, but Griffin's old band too pure to die. Like we'd book mm -hmm. them. We, um, first blood, the Warriors, all kinds of bands. We, you know, it's like, oh, we want to play with these bands, so let's just book the show ourselves. And, you know, it was a learning experience, but we made it work, and made for some fun times. That, it, but it helped us gain fans because it was people. Knew, there was a sense of community there, and people knew that we put the show on, so it was like they they were watching us, and. Then when we would throw our own shows with other bands, people were just coming out, and it was it worked really well. Like that was a good move on our part. Um, I, there was one time we this is when Job for a Cowboy was like first blowing up, and we're like, oh, we're booking Job for a Cowboy, and we're gonna do all this stuff. My family was going on like a cruise that my one grandma was paying for for everybody, and we were like, oh shit, I want to like yeah, I want to go on a cruise, and I realized like oh, it was the same week we booked this show, and I was like. I got, I can't go. I got to stay because we're playing this show. Like this is going to be a big deal. And that was the year they did the free Ozfest. Mm. And so we booked the show and everything. And I already backed out of this cruise. Um, then they announced the dates for the free Ozfest, and it was the same day in my town as that show. So we had to cancel our show, and I just like sat at home for a week, like ah, uh, <laughs> cool. <laughs> but that's the that just the kind of sacrifices you have to make. Like I know guys to this day that are so like, Oh, we can't do this tour. I'm, I, I'm going to go on a family vacation and 
It's like, dude, it's the summertime. You got to go on tour. Um, and it's one thing if you're, if you're like, hey, we're, I'm doing this in June of next year, giving lots of notice. It's like, yeah, sure, we can work around that. But sometimes opportunity knocks and you just got to be like, all right, well, sorry, we have to we have to go on tour with Lamb of God. So mm, what a what a what a shame that is. Um, and it's it's kind of you know the process you're talking about is really important. Um, I think because it's also a humbling experience because it is about networking. I think sometimes young bands when they're starting out they expect everything to fall into their lap. They expect people to yeah. offer them the tours, offer them this and that, and you have to do it. You know, yeah. Some bands get that instant step up, but usually those bands that get the instant step up don't last. They don't yeah, last. It's we I mean I remember back in the day, man, we were I had a, a huge like Microsoft Word document of just because back, you could book tours on MySpace mm. and for a, a small band you were just you know, here's all these booking companies for every city and I was just blindly emailing every one of them. Mm-hmm. And I would like, sometimes you'd get them to like, yeah, we can give you 200 bucks. And we're like, yes. <laughs> and then sometimes it's like, yo, we can put, we can, we can get you a show, but you know, it'll be a door deal and you'll get this much of the door. And we're like, cool. And you play a lot of shows in front of nobody, but you still played. You're getting better every time you play. Um, you're getting better at dealing with playing in front of nobody. And those are the shows where you just like, you're paying, you're playing in front of the other bands that are on the show and you're, just have fun because you get to play. Mm-hmm. And so it makes you appreciate it that much more when you get to play in front of these big crowds. Cause I see some, some guys in bands where their bands, they got really lucky and got picked up really young and they're getting put on big tours. So they're playing in front of big crowds always. And when it's time to do their own thing and they, they aren't playing in front of crowds that are that big, they kind of fall apart where I'm like, Oh, there's there's only there's only a hundred people here. Oh, okay, whatever, cool. It's not the same as playing in front of thousands, but sure. I'm these people are having fun. I'm having fun. Whatever. Was the um the period coming to the end of 1931? Was that kind of forced on you guys to um you know for you to go your separate way, or was it just unfortunately I, I steam mean, had run out? It was. A little bit of both. Um, part of it over the years, we were just losing members, replacing people because it's that that age where some guys want to do it. Some guys are like, uh, I, I think I want to go to school or I think I want to focus on this. And that's fine. It's not for everybody. Um, so we were changing members. And at one point in time in 2007, we were kind of like not doing anything for a little bit. And I did a fill in tour for Rose Funeral when like their original lineup had just everyone quit the band, but the drummer, which I should have taken as a sign of like, mm. Hey, maybe that dude sucks. <laughs> um, so they all quit and I was like, Oh yeah, I can do a fill in tour. It's, it's two months long. I'm going, and it was us, uh, salt, the wound Carnifex, mm. uh, years spent cold. It was like a lot Carnifex. It was like their first full us tour. I think, um, yeah, this is 2007 and, we were touring in a 12 passenger van with all of the equipment in the van with us. So we were just driving around sleeping in the van most nights, just sitting up like, uh, 
it was awful, but I was like, okay, well, my band's not doing anything, so I can I can do this for a couple months. Came back, and all the guys, and some of us in 1931 started a different band that ended up just the guitar player we had, like a month in, he's like, I, I'm, I'm going to do something else. And then the guitar player from 1931 was like, I'll play with you guys. And it's like, well, we've got like three or five of us here. Let's just, this is 1931. So after a very brief hiatus, we were like back together, um, toured for a few more years and it just, it kind of had run its course. We had opportunities that we'd missed, bad opportunities that we'd taken. Um, and it got to the point where Kevin was like, I can't do this anymore. And he was quitting. And I'm like, him and I were like the last two guys left. And I'm like, I don't want to be like the only one left from like the, the start. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to focus on something else. And I just kind of was just at home playing guitar for a few months. And then Rose funeral needed a guitar player again. And I was like, it's something to do. So I joined and this time I wasn't a fill-in, I was an actual member and that lasted for a few months. And I was like, I'm still really good friends with the, the guy we had singing for us at the time, Casper. Mm-hmm. Like he was in like even less time than I was. He, he, he bailed and we'd, we'd be, you know, in the middle of a tour near, near the end when I was about to quit. And it was like, you know, we'd stay at somebody's house. We'd go outside to get in the van the next day, and someone's like, "Oh, look what I got!" And like, they would steal from people's houses, and mm. I'm like, "What is wrong with you? I don't want to be around you." It was just they were bad shit, and it ended up like they were about to do a tour with Nile, which I was like, "Fuck, it's that's cool. It's Nile." Because that's the thing, part of me doing it was like, oh, we're touring with Vader, we're touring with Cryptops, we're going to do these cool cool tours. I'm like, okay, I can I can stick it out on another tour. We were coming up on that tour, and it was just like, I'm trying to find out when are we leaving, when are we getting together to rehearse. Like, hey, this tour is getting close, what's going on? And the other guitar player texted me one night at like 10.30 in the evening, asking if I can get a ride to our singer's house, who lived like two hours away. And I'm like, you're asking me to get a ride tonight at 10 o'clock for somebody to just drive me two hours, which is going to be a four hour round trip for them. And he's and I'm like, why, why tonight? And he's like, Oh, we're going to leave tomorrow. And I'm like, you know what? Have fun. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm out. <clears throat> like, well, what the fuck? And I'm like, I, I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. Feel free to use my trailer for that tour. Cause you already have it. Um, cause I didn't want to screw him over completely dumb move on my part. Cause like halfway through the tour, they sold my trailer in like Texas and bought a new one. And I'm like, cool. Mm. Uh, a few months later, uh, uh, Andy from Oceano had quit mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, fuck it. I, I've played a couple shows of those guys. So I sent them a message on MySpace, and Adam saw it and he's like, Oh shit. I remember you. I was getting ready to close messages cause people started sending us stuff. And had I waited five more minutes, that message would have never went through. Um, but they're like, yeah, send us some videos. I made some videos, joined the band for three years, and now here we are. Yeah, that, um, you know, I don't want to go too much into Rose Funeral because I've had some guests who were also, you know, I don't, 
you know, unless you're of our age bracket, I don't think a lot of listeners will probably remember the name of the band. Um, but not what you remember. Anyway. No, but all I'll say to listeners is go online and if you want to look at the member list, um, you've never seen so many members in one band that it sh- has short lived. Um, yeah, fucking insane. The the original lineup that was Destin and Dre, who were brothers, Tony and uh, Bino, who's the bass player. They were, those guys were really cool. And that was part of the reason I was like, oh, well, I was like hanging out with them back in the day. So when I got the chance to fill in, I was like, even though they weren't there, I was like, oh, well, I always liked those guys. So mm-hmm. it's like, I'll play that. I'll play in that band. Sure. Um, they ended up starting a band called Mortal Feast at one point that was really fucking good, but they just didn't do anything with it. Um, and I know they did a reissue of that first record like on vinyl recently. Mm. And I know those guys were getting paid from it. So I was like, cool. Mm. But the other guys from that band, like especially Brian and Dusty, the drummer and guitar player, scumbags. Yeah, I mean, it. You you hear of differences and people that have opinions, but um, I think yes, yes, that's there are bands. That's one thing to have different opinion, but it's another thing to no. be like to steal from people and to mm-hmm. like just treat other humans like trash. Yeah, nobody has, and I mean it's sad, but it's a reality. Nobody has anything nice to say about them, and that just says enough in itself. I mean, I've had other guests who had moments in the band, and just like you, nothing nice to say. So we're gonna leave that thing where it deserves to be, which is buried. Yep. Um, anyone listening, yep. don't even check past. out don't even check out the discography. Not worth your time. Um, let's not give them even a zero 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 point one cent. Um, so let's talk about a bit of Oceano. Um, you came in obviously as you were saying with a bit of a message and kind of trialing mm-hmm. out and when you came in um, did you instantly kind of feel that Oceano were developing into a name within the scene? Because at that stage, they kind of were kind of a bit of a buzz band, really. Yeah, because um, I know that their first record, Depths, was doing really mm-hmm. well. Um, they were on Earache, which was at the time a label that I was like, they put out some of my favorite records, not knowing that they would conned Oceano into a horrible deal mm-hmm. where they were just stealing money from them. Um which I could talk for hours about that one, but bad time. Do not recommend. Uh, but we'd done 1931 had done some weekend stuff with them before they had signed to earache. So I'm like, okay, well this, I, we had fun and they were getting bigger. And I was like, okay, well I think I would fit in. Like I'm comfortable touring. Um, I've been touring uncomfortably for a long time. So it's like, Oh, it'd be cool to be in a band where I, I don't have to deal with booking and I don't have to deal with, any of that. I just have to play guitar and it's kind of funny. Um, the scenario now sounds like a nightmare looking back on it. Send them the videos. They were on a tour with uh, bleeding through at the time. And they had a filling guitar player that they just weren't meshing with. They're like, this guy, he's playing stuff wrong. He's not like, he doesn't get along with us. Well, like he just doesn't have, you know, the hang, mm-hmm. uh, so I've been talking to him and they're like, yeah, you know, if you can meet us up, meet up with us at this point in the tour, like we're going to drop him off the night before he knows he's going home. You can pick up. And I was like, okay. So I like learned the set, um, got a ride to Indianapolis, which was about three and a half hours from where I live, maybe three hours. Um, 
didn't get there because of traffic until like after they had played. So I didn't even get to watch them play. Um, and we had a show the next day in Chicago, Chicago House of Blues, hmm. hometown show for Luciano, hometown show for Born of Osiris, who was on the tour. It was a big fucking show. Um, and this is at like the height of the hype for both of those bands. Um, granted, you know, they're, they're all still doing stuff, but like that was, it was like, oh, we have to see these bands. Um, so we get back to our guitar, other guitar player, Nick, we get to his house at probably two, three in the morning and everyone is just dead tired. And so we just like went to bed and the next day we get to the show and load in at Chicago house of blues is a nightmare. Um, there's just a bunch of, everything is on a different floor. So we go up in the green room and the other guitar players like, we don't get a sound check or anything. At this point, I still have not played with these guys. <laughs> uh, and he's, we had one guitar that wasn't like on stage waiting. So I'm like showing him. He's like, yeah, that looks good. And I'm like, I'm not going to, I'm not playing this with anybody. <laughs> so I just had to run through the song and show him. So yeah, it'll be fine. So my first time playing with Oceano was literally on stage in front of a bunch of people. It was terrifying. <laughs> Uh, which knowing those guys at the time, that's very much a, like those guys thing to do. Like just, just go for it. And thankfully I didn't fuck up or at least <laughs> I noticed, um, tour went, went really well. And right after that we wrote, like they had songs written for contagion. And then I wrote some more and then we wrote some more together. Um, and I think that, I like to think that record was really cool. Yeah. Uh, I think the record they did afterwards, I'm not really a fan of it. Um, and I, which I've told them that I think they went in the wrong, they tried to go in like a safe direction. Um, but the stuff they've done after that, I think is, is more of a return to form. Um, so it's good to see them like still at it, even though it's Adam in the band. And then, yeah, I mean, other people, I mean, I've had Adam on the show and, you know, shout out to Adam. He's, he's, such a fucking nice, like soft yeah. heart, like genuine, like soft spirit. Um, and uh, you know, I was looking into that time, looking back, and I agree with everything like you said about the releases. Um, was the ending of your time in Oceano around the time that the um, hiatus came about? Because I remember that happening out of nowhere. It was around 2012, 2013. It was. It was. It was 2011, mm, okay. near the okay. year. Um, I only remember that because my dad was in the hospital for like a month, and people were like asking me about Oceano, and I think I like was like, we broke up. Mm. Like, I'm tired of dealing with this because I'm dealing with actual problems, and uh, it was it was pretty much you know Adam had just had a son, mm. and I know there were some issues with like oh, well, you're going to be gone. Like, you need to be able to see your son. And he was wanting to focus on that, which, I, you know, is fine. He wanted us to continue on with somebody else. And I'm like, no, dude, nobody wants to see us without you. Um, so we, we broke up for a little while. And then he was like, okay, I want to do this again. And we're like, cool, we're back. Um, so it was like six months maybe we broke up. And we uh, got back to it. But I think Contagion came out in 2010. And 
we had that period where we weren't working on Oceano stuff at all. And then we got, got back to touring and we were touring hard. And it got to a point where it's like, okay, well, we need to write a record. It got to the three years of not having anything. And it's like, we were starting to like send riffs back and forth because I still lived in Ohio at the time and they were in Chicago, like the suburbs. And I was sending more like death metal type stuff because I think the direction we were going with Contagion, like it needed to get faster, more aggressive with like even heavier parts. And then they put together that song, uh, Slow Murder, I think, hmm. and released it. Mm-hmm. And I just, it just never meshed with me. Like I played two shows after that song got released. We did like a showcase for E-Rake in Pomona in California. We flew out to do that. And I like, I played the song then. And then we did my last show, which was, uh, in Chicago. And I wasn't sure or not if it was going to be my last show. Cause I had the opportunity for the Keisha stream, but I was still kind of like figuring it out. Mm-hmm. And I just wasn't, didn't have fun playing that song. And I was like, okay, well, I have the opportunity for this, but I don't want to do that and screw you guys over because we're supposed to be writing our record. So I backed out on doing an Acacia Strain tour with like every time I die Mm -hmm. because I was like, okay, well, I don't want to leave them high and dry. I want to give them this record and then then I can come over. And then Oceano brought in uh, Casper to write and he's he's a good guy. Um, but I basically got kind of forced out there because they knew I was leaving anyways. And I'm like, okay, well, mm-hmm. would have been nice to know this so I could have do, done that tour. But, uh, well, I mean, so that and rest is history. Well, I mean, it's no one could, with what was going on, obviously, at the time, um, that being one thing. But, I mean, you say to anyone, including yourself, who, you obviously would have been a fan of Acacia Strain before you came in. If someone said yeah. to you, here's, here's an opportunity, I don't think anyone could blame you for wanting to pass that up because that's yeah. like, fuck. And it's another part of it is like I was a fan of Acacia Strain from – like I, I listened to 3750 like on the bus on the way to school um, – Oceano was a band that I only knew about because we'd played some shows for them. They weren't really a band I listened to. Mm-hmm. A lot of the songs, like, when I was like, oh, hey, I'll play with you guys, me learning them was, like, the first time I was, like, listening to them. And so it was like I wasn't coming in as a fan of the band. I was just coming in as, like, you know, and granted, those guys are still some of my best friends. Um, but it just never – I was never, like, an Oceano fan coming coming into it. Um, whereas the Acacia Strain, I'm like, I know these songs like the back of my hand. Mm. Like I've been listening for years, been watching shows for years. Um, and I have a clear understanding of like where this band needs to go. So it was like, I, it was a no brainer for me. Mm. The only hard part was like telling my friends in Oceano, like, Hey, I, I, I gotta do this. Did you feel any, um, yeah, this is. 2013-ish. So, I mean, when you come in, um, as you said, you're already a fan. Um, Acacia Strain, uh, one of the names in the heavy game. Whether you're into them or not, um, everyone knows the name. So, with that coming in, 
It's a two-part question. Was it always permanent position to start off with? And then the second part of the question is, did it come with any pressure or expectation? Because it's not like, like you said, joining Oceano is a band you knew who were kind of mates that you toured with occasionally. You know, it's a whole different ball game when you join a band on a level of Acacia Strain. Yeah. Um, so when I first got the offer, because they'd had fill-in guitar players for a long time, mm. like Tony and Tim and Mike, and uh, there's some, some other guys too. It, it had been a long, long-going thing for a few years um, when DL stopped touring to you know focus on his family and recording and all that stuff. And I just, I knew how some of those guys, especially Tony, like I talked to him a lot and just, it doesn't feel good to be a fill-in for a long time. Mm. Like, you know, according to him, DL wouldn't show him how to play songs. He wouldn't like, there was no help being given on that side. And then when they'd play, when he'd play something wrong, it'd be like, are you fucking playing the songs wrong? And it's like, I don't want to deal with that. So I was like. I feel like I have enough skill on my own. Like I don't need to be a fill in. Mm -hmm. And I was like right off the bat when I had heard that they were thinking about it, I was like, cause Tony was quitting cause it was down to him being a fill in and he was leaving. And I was like, I'll come in, but I'm not. And like this very well could have screwed me out of the position, but I was like, I'm not going to be a fill in. I can't, I'm not going to quit my band to be a fill in in another band. So cards on the table and, they're like, okay. So came in as an actual member. Um, we immediately wrote there and there was, there was definitely some pressure, but it was comfortable pressure, I think, because we, I, I toured with Acacia Strain a bunch with Oceano. We did one tour where we split a bus together. So it was like, I'd already basically done the hard stuff, learning to be around these guys kind of thing. Um, you know, Jack and Kevin and Vincent were were really easy to write with, and I I had been such a fan for so long. Like I I was, it wasn't like I was like, wait, so how should we write this? It was just like, yeah, here's what I got, and it worked. And so we joined. We did we did like a little five show run, um, some Ohio shows, some Michigan shows. I think maybe another one. I don't remember where, but uh. We did that and we came and wrote the Above and Below EP. It was me and Richie had just joined the band. So it's like, let's see what we can write. And we did that. It was received very well. Hmm. Um, toured some more. We did, I think, uh, we toured with Lamb of God. We toured with Hatebreed in like 2013. Really good times. And then we recorded Comowich. And that did phenomenal numbers for us it was our best selling record to date at that point in time and uh so it kind of you still have people like oh i missed el but it wasn't like one of those situations where you, you see like a long time member of a band get replaced and it's really it's really transparent i think when you see the new guys are just trying to replicate that sound and we did i didn't want to do that mm. um because i want this to sound like me. I want this to sound like Richie. And, you know, now that Tom's in, like, I want to sound like Tom and Griffin because people, you'll get the random people that are like, Oh, I missed a dead walk. And it's like, okay, well you can still go and listen to that. It still exists. I don't want to write a sequel to that. I want to write something new that 
like maybe it maybe it'll speak to you on the level that that did, but it probably won't because that's the first record you heard from us. That's the one you have the most connectivity with because you were 15 the first time you heard it, and it's hard to com- compete with that. So it's like I'm not going to try to compete with that. I'm going to write my own thing, and it's so far it's worked. Um, people have been genuinely happy with the music we've been putting out. Uh, so yeah, can't complain there. Well, I think it's really important. Like you said, you know, you need to come in and make your imprint. Uh, you're not coming yeah. in to replicate what was done previously. Yes. In a live setting, you're going to play those songs live, but in the studio with the music, you need people to go, this is Devin in the band, not, oh, Devin's playing DL parts. It's important. Yeah. Really important. And I think mm-hmm. I think you noticed it most, or I noticed it most, and I love when I think probably I noticed the album where you probably played a big part in was Grave Bloom. I think you could sense the element of freshness started getting injected into the band because there was more doom, there was more stonerish feels. Yeah. Um, and it felt like the band started to be willing to explore the boundaries that it could push themselves to. Were you a big play in that album, kind of going in a different direction? Uh, yeah, it was. So on that record, when we were first starting, that we were sending riffs. Um, me and Griffin had sent some stuff back and forth, and Richie was still in the band, and he sent like one riff, like, and we all had like home recording setups. Like, I'm not very good at it, but Griffin owns a studio. Tom used to work for Will Putney. So Mm -hmm. like he's, they're good. I'm like, I can get an idea across at the very minimum. Um, but Richie sent like, he sent one video and it was like just a cell phone video of him playing a riff. And a couple days later, he sent an email to everybody and quit the band because he is just a lot of anxiety and couldn't handle it anymore. And which is fine. Richie's still my friend. Um, He's getting married. Congratulations, Richie. Um, but uh, so the pressure, I, I always think I work really well under pressure and the pressure was on because then it was down to me and Griffin. Mm-hmm. So we, there's stuff that Griffin wrote, stuff that I wrote, and then a lot of stuff that we just mashed together on. Um, like one I remember, remember specifically, uh, the song Abyssal Deaths, like that was, that was all Griffin. And then there's a little, the little lead part going on in the background, just like an ambient mm-hmm. thing. Um, that was Will, because uh, we're we're trying to figure something out, and he's like, "Well, how about something like this?" And I'm like, "Okay, cool. You already have the guitar. Just play it." <laughs> like, why waste time showing me how to play it when you're already playing? Doesn't matter. Just track it. Um, but yeah, um, it was cool because it, it it did. I think I, I really like Coma Witch, but it does, to me, sound a lot like there's this is a Richie song, this is a Devin song. Like we never really fully meshed, and I think on that, like me and Griffin got to do that mesh, and Tom was still he was filling in for us at the time. Mm. Like mm. when Richie quit, Tom was the first person in my head. I'm like, let's get Tom. He just quit at the machine shop, mm. and. We'd known it. He'd worked on everything that we've done since I joined the band. So it was like, that was natural for me. Like, Tom's going to be the guy. And we had him on tour with us. It was great. He was playing everything perfectly. So pretty quickly, like after like the first couple weeks, I'm like, all right, yeah, he's, he's in. Let's get him. And everyone else was like, 
just let's see how it goes. So I think his second tour with us, I, it finally was like, yeah, let's get him in. Um, we've recorded the record and all that stuff. So we were on a tour. We were in Salt Lake City and we cornered him. It's like, we got to talk. You're in the band. And he's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and Vincent's like, I fought this. I fought this so hard. Um, but from there, like me and Griffin had already meshed. So then when we finally started working on it comes in waves. That was just a huge experiment of like, we're just doing whatever the fuck we want. And that's what came out. And a lot of that is common Griffin. Most of my, I've got a few riffs on it, but most of my input on that was when we're putting everything together. Um, Cause they'd had such a big chunk of music put together that sounded great. I'm like, I don't need to come in and like fuck with this at all. Like I have some, a few things to add, but a lot of my input was like, let's try this little lead part here and we're going to bring it back here to connect these parts. And it was a lot of stuff like that. And then I did all of the like backing vocals on that were me. Um, and so it was just like, that was Tom and Griffin got the shine there, but it still, it wasn't like a traditional Acacia strain record. So mm-hmm. when we started writing on uh, slow decay, that's where Tom really got to pull out like, okay, I've been playing with you guys now for a few years and now we finally get to write something that is Acacia strain. And I think it came together really well. We all, we all had a room in Griffin studio sitting and writing stuff and we were just visiting each other's rooms, but I'll try this here. And it was like the healthiest writing environment I've ever been in. Cause usually it's like you're in a, shitty practice space somewhere that you're like this sucks i'm on it's cold like we wrote coma witch during what they were calling the polar vortex like when i was driving out to write the record it got to negative uh, 40 fahrenheit i don't know what that is celsius but it's bullshit fuck uh, we wrote a chunk of it in vincent's garage we'd have to go out there and play for like 15 minutes and then go back inside because it was too cold to like hold our instruments so that record is just painful the whole way through because we were just punished the whole time writing it. Um, but slow decay, we had, we just had a great time. We were sitting together. We wrote everything together. It was, it all, it's all one cohesive piece to me. Well, slow decay, I think, um, slow decay, what's so obvious about it from, uh, a diehard fan of every phase, because there is phases, which includes, it comes in waves, which I want to get, to in a sec but um slow decay you can it sounds like you guys you tom and griffin uh are comfortable with each other like it sounds like you can clearly bounce each other's ideas off and it's a case of like you'll work together it's not here's my idea have it and that's it but obviously you guys are meshing with each other because your your styles are all a bit different and then what's come out with slow decay is I mean, it's one of the one of the best albums I think in the category for quite a while. Yeah, it's, it was really fun to make, and I think that's something I think is lacking in some some releases in our you know little genre. Is that there are some bands I think when they start to get older, they're just like we have to put something out and we have to please our fans because sometimes you you put something out. And I thankfully I don't think we've done this really like, but that is a misstep where you're like, Oh, everyone hated that. Mm. And 
then you're you instead of saying no we're going to keep experimenting until we find the right thing it's easy to put something out that people don't like and go oh fuck we can't do that and go back to just playing it safe and writing you know x heavy record part two um but we were yeah we were really comfortable with each other we have different styles and sometimes it's fun to say like when we're writing it it's fun to go like oh well what would tom write here let me try to write like tom and tom go let me try to write like Devin. and it's fun to experiment like that sometimes you end up with a riff that sounds because you you blow it on trying to sound like the other person but then you end up with something else totally different that's cool and it just it, it works really well and that record we were just we were just writing songs like we didn't it didn't have to be one full doom record or one full like fast mosh record it was just like what do we want for this song cool and it still still flows together really well i think but it's part of writing it like that was why we were able to release it as like a bunch of different eps to just say okay these songs stand on their own and while doing that we're getting people listening to each song and then when, when new, two new songs would come out, they go back and listen to the songs again to like see how they work together. And so by the time the full record comes out, everybody knows every song. And then they have two more new songs to, work, to listen to. So I am excited to be able to play all that stuff at some point because I really don't know what is going to be like, you know, the bangers that everybody wants to hear. Mm. Sometimes you, you, you say like, oh, shit, everyone's going to love to hear this song. And then you play it and they're like, what? <laughs> And then the song that you thought everyone was going to hate, they're like, yeah. So, <laughs> well, uh, you mentioned in there, which, which was interesting approach. And I spoke to Tom about it as well. And it was two approaches, not only with when you guys did It Comes in Waves, it was just the uh, 26th of December. It was bang, here it is. Enjoy. Uh, take it. Yeah. And then you completely flipped that idea on its head. And then you did the. EP, you know, which spelt out decay, but at first all you did yeah. was drop two tracks and you said, there's more music on the way. You know, that's all he said. Yeah. And then you didn't, it's the reason it was refreshing is I think we're too geared and used to the hype train. You know, the band says, here's the first single. This is when it comes out. So get ready. We're going to hype you up for four weeks or four yeah. months. You guys just went, here it is. Fucking consume it. Yep. Cause, uh, the thought process there is, everybody is so connected all the time. Like you're, you don't just hear something like back in the day when you just be like, Oh, this record's coming out. I'm excited to hear it. And you hear it and you're like, yes, it's everything I wanted it to be. Now, when you know something's coming out, you're in your head, you're like, I hope it sounds like this. And you start putting, you, you build expectations. And then when you hear it, even if it's really good, it's not what you expected it to be. So you're like, eh. and you've just like taken away the fun that you could have had. Like, by doing this, especially with It Comes in Waves, doing a surprise release, nobody knew what they were going to hear. Mm. So they just put it on and they're like, they got to experience with no preconceived notions, no expectations. It was, it's the way we, the reason we want to do it like that is you remember the first time you hear a band, like unsolicited, your friend just pops a CD in or something comes on the radio and you didn't know who it was. And you're like, Oh wow. We wanted that same effect where you just hear it and you, you have to base everything you're thinking off what you're hearing versus what you think is going to come out. Um, so surprise release worked really well for that. 
and then for slow decay people knew music was coming but they're like when is it coming and what are these songs going to sound like it's just here's two songs they didn't know how long it was going to go on for because for the first few letters they're like what oh like death I'm like no we're not doing that <laughs> um they, there's decay and then they didn't know oh there's a record that's going to come out wow um and each song is a little different so it was they didn't know what song was going to be next and it worked similarly to it comes in waves but different strategy that worked just as well I think it's refreshing. I really thought it was refreshing because it took me back to, like you said, you know, I remember growing up and you didn't have six singles before something came out. You got the release and then you'd buy the release and then that was it. You're into it. You're enjoying it. You're consuming it. Um, I didn't have build up and, you know, which, like you said, I think sometimes people don't realize is you might hear that single and then that single, based off your opinion, judges on if you're going to listen to that album. And sometimes that's bad. Yeah. You're not giving the album a chance. Yeah, because there's, there's songs. Um, when I worked in a music store years ago, like I remember having this discussion with a coworker where a lot of like the kind of 90s one-hit wonder bands, you'd, get, you'd listen to their record, and the hit song sounds completely different than everything else because the label paid like, okay, well, you're going to record a single here we're going to pump a bunch of money into it. So you have all this crazy production and it sounds great. And then you have like this pile of garbage that was left over and they're like, Oh, we still sold the record. Hmm. And we just, we didn't want that kind of stuff. We just, because this, I the whole single thing sucks too. Cause you can, you can pick the wrong single and hmm. then real, like there's some gold sitting on your record that people don't listen to cause they didn't give it a chance. Um, and I remember back in the day, like, you know, subscribing to magazines and just waiting every month for like the new thing. And it was, it's kind of bringing that same idea to people who maybe didn't experience that when they were growing up. Cause we, we, I, we have fans that are older than I am. And we have a lot of fans that are younger than I am. And I think that that's really cool because you're getting these younger fans a new way to experience music that they didn't have before. Cause it's always just been accessible constantly. You can listen to whatever you want. Um, which when I was growing up, it was, okay, I, I here's the record I'm going to listen to on the way to school. And nine times out of ten, it's Injustice for All, and I'm going to wear this CD out. <laughs> um, but now it's like, oh, here's I'm going to play this song and put this on my playlist and listen to all this. Um, doing it this delayed release like this, it put that back in people's heads so that they're like, it becomes a favorite record and they want to listen to it over and over again. Cause very rarely are there records that come out like that. Even for myself where I'm like, I'll hear something like I really like this. And then I never listen to it again. Hmm. But every once in a while, there's something that I hear that I'm like, it grabs me that right way. And I want to listen to it again. And then I need to hear it again. And I hear new things every single time I listen to it. We were trying to do that by like, slowly grabbing somebody and being like, oh, shit. They're like, I've listened to this a bunch of times now because I've been going back to here at the first EP and the second EP. And it's it's been a fun ride. And it's the, you know, the whole pandemic thing that's made for an interesting release. It was something to kind of keep people's time occupied. Mm. They're sitting around doing nothing. They're like, oh, shit, new music came out. I'm going to listen to it. I also like it because... 
Yeah, last thing on Slow Decay before we touch on a couple of things to wrap up with is um, I liked it because, you know, I like to be challenged not only with what I'm listening to but how I'm listening to it and it didn't feel like you were pandering to the standards. Not that there's anything yeah. wrong sometimes, standards still works, but sometimes a curveball, like how you did, in com- it comes in waves in every aspect but also with the two-track EPs building up to Slow Decay, it's refreshing and we need bands like Acacia Strain to push the envelope to make everyone else want to push the envelope not replicate it get other bands thinking get other bands wanting to do things differently it's needed yeah like if you're in a band and you're listening to this if you have a weird idea follow it do Mm. something weird Mm. we need more weird shit because weird shit leads to other bands doing weird shit and then you get a band like Neurosis, who does exclusively weird shit and is like one of is just a timeless band, and we need more bands that are just focused on their art and what they want to do, as opposed to just being like, well, how many people are going to buy this, and mm-hmm. what tours is this going to get us on? Like, don't give a shit about that. Just do something cool. If you have an idea and you think it's weird or you think it's cool, try it. Fuck yeah. Just take chances. Nobody takes risks anymore, and it's really important to do that. Yeah, like you said, got to push the envelope. Um, now, you, know, you mentioned in there about, unfortunately, the release came on when everything was going on. Um, and I wanted to ask with a two-part question, did you ever think of maybe not releasing it when you couldn't tour off the back of it? But then the second part of the question is, everyone's around now, it's looking like it's becoming a bit of a trend. Everyone's doing the live stream concerts. You know, Lamb of God just did one over... Um, the weekend and stuff, you know, has it been something you guys would consider? Like, where do you sit with this whole live streaming concert idea? Um, we haven't really even discussed it because I think we're all on the same page. One, we all live in different states, so it's not as easy as just like, let's get together and do this. Mm. Uh, like, I have to fly across the country, and I'm like, I don't really want to get on an airplane right now. No. Um. Griffin would have to fly. Tom would have to. Tom could drive, but it's still like it'd be easier to fly because it's just it's a lot of a lot of moving parts to get it to work. And then like the way I I want to play it is just we are at our best when we're in a room with all the people that care about us and people that we care about. And you know you're able to put that mic in somebody's face and everyone is jumping off of each other. And it's just it would feel weird and phoned into me to be playing in front of nobody, like just getting filmed. And I have to like, when we play live, a lot of our energy is coming from what we're, it's, it's like a feedback loop from the crowd. And if you don't have that there, I'm like, I don't think that it would be like, sure. We would sound, you'd sound good, but it wouldn't have the same feeling to me. And I'm like, I think that our fans deserve better than that. And we, you know, we gave them a lot of new music to listen to. There's a lot of really good videos of us live from past shows you can watch. But as much as like I just want to be able to get in a room with my friends and play music, I think that the fans deserve better than that. They deserve to be able to like come back and have like a triumphant return. Like I don't want to give them something that's not as good as the real thing. Mm. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. Bands that do that, like. Because I do understand the business side of it too. Like you got to be able to make money somehow, and I just 
I don't know. Like, I, I just want to be able to play with my friends again. I want to be able to play in front of our friends. Um, I don't know when we're going to be able to do that. And it's, it's upsetting. Like I watched, I watched a video this morning, um, from our last, the last show we all played together, which was Anaheim. It was March 14th. They like, we already knew the tour was canceled. Um, and they, California had limited, uh, event capacity to 250. So we did two half capacity shows in one day at chain reaction, which was weird because we're used to playing in that room and it being wall to wall packed, but it's a half capacity. So we're like playing there. We did two sets that day, us riding out in chamber mm. and it was just like watching it. Like I, I like, I teared up a little bit cause I'm just like, that feels like it was years ago. Mm. And just like watching my friends and we're like, you know, Vincent's on the stage talking. He's like, I don't know what's going to happen here. Like, this is our livelihoods. This is like a bunch of people's shit. Like our years year was based around like that record touring, doing all that. And it just fell apart. Mm. I, I live in California now. So my fiance came down, picked me up and we just went home. They had some shows booked on the way home, like trying to like just get gas money to get back to Massachusetts or to upstate New York. And they played a show in Vegas and then everything else got canceled because they were just like the hammer fell down fast, which it should have. Um, but it was, it happened very quickly and it was a nightmare. And as far as choosing whether or not to release the record, like we'd already, the train was already moving. Um, D came out like at the beginning of the tour. So we were playing the first two songs live. And so it's like, we can't play shows like they're still going to have this music coming out once a month. At least there's something. And especially early on, you're like, okay, this is going to be a few weeks. We'll be back for the summer tour. No, mm. it's just an ongoing mess. There's no end in sight. It's, you know, I've, I've got some friends of mine in Australia. I guess things are really bad there right now. And it's just, mm. Mm. yeah. I mean the whole world, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's nuts here too. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm. I think a lot of people listening are, are stoked that you did put it out when you did, um, and it went yeah. down a tree, and it has. Uh, the last thing I wanted to tell you about that live streaming thing, like you, I can understand why it's done, but for me, like you said, I'm completely in the same bracket. Is that there's something about the fans being there, and I've watched some snippets and clips of the stuff that people are doing, and. It feels like, you know, when you watched back in the day, like a David Letterman and the band was standing there playing on David Letterman and there's no atmosphere, the energy levels, you know, you know, they're putting all into it, but it doesn't come off as well. For me, I just look, I can understand why people are doing it. But for me, if I turn on my phone and see it and I can watch it, that's fine. But personally, I don't want to pay 50 bucks for that. I would rather give it to the band and buy a T-shirt or something mm-hmm. instead. Um, or yeah, wait to yeah. see it in a live setting, really. Yeah, and in a, a band like us, like if you watch videos of us playing, we usually, like, we don't have a light show or there's nothing crazy going on. It's usually just, like, one color. Mm. Like, I'll <laughs> uh, do purple or do green. Mm-hmm. And it's just one color, solid. We don't do strobes because mm-hmm. Vincent feels like he's going to pass out. <laughs> lights start flashing everywhere. 
but it's it's that we're throwing water everywhere. There's people stage diving. Everyone's grabbing a mic because they want to they want to sing a part, and that's as much as, as a part of the show as we are playing it. So like if that's not there, like that's not the whole show. Mm. So just I I don't want to do that. No, I'm glad you guys aren't either. Um, yeah, I'm happy. Now, last question I wanted to definitely ask because it ties into what we've been talking about before we look to wrap things up um, is, you know, you've got a lot of time on your hands now um, and it's one thing to get motivated to do what you're doing when you can tour and all of this, when you can get together with your, your other four mates. So how do you keep yourself motivated to, to keep going when there's so much free time. You know, I know you do Twitch and all of this and you have your fiancé, but I'm talking music passion-wise. How do you keep it motivated and still going? Um, it's, it's definitely difficult. Um, like with the, the Twitch thing, it's hard to... I just mainly play games on there because I, like, I want to play guitar, but then there's so many rules where it's like, I can play my own stuff, but like sometimes... I get inspired by like learning other songs and be like, Oh, this is really cool. And if you play something you don't own the rights to on Twitch, even if you're just like kind of playing along with it, you'll get your whole account banned. And I'm like, mm. I don't want to do that. Um, so it's like, I play guitar when I can. I've been focusing a lot on uh, my company. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a like guitar pickup company and we just, it keeps me connected to music that way. Um, been writing a lot, but it's, It's just there's a lot of free time and there's a lot of trying to keep yourself from going crazy. <clears throat> and I think a lot of people, too, have been just buying stuff constantly on Amazon. Um, like I bought, bought like a really expensive camera a few weeks back, got it, and I'm like, cool. And I ordered a new case for it and all this stuff. I'm like, awesome. And it's in the case. I have not used it once because <laughs> I'm like all right, this will be, an, I'm going to start making videos with this. This will be cool. And then I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'll learn, I'll figure it out. But there's a lot of that where I'm like trying to venture into new things. Cause so much has been just like going on tour or you got to write. And now it's just like, who knows when we can, when we can do any of it. Um, but I've been playing guitar a lot, working on riffs, just, just, uh, working on technique, as always, because um, it goes for Tom as well, like the stuff we play, which I think is important for any band, like you don't have to show off like your full power level when it comes to technical skill. Like just because I'm playing a breakdown doesn't mean I can't sit there and be like, Ugh. it's just like, I don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole song, but just work on a lot of that just to have more tools in the tool belt as far as technique goes and, the motivation is there, but it's a lot of it is just like, I just want to be able to play with my friends. I want to be able to sit in a room. You know, one of our favorite venues we just found out today, the Rex theater in Pittsburgh closed down venues are closing left and right. Mm. And it's like, these are places that would not only was it there, this crazy show, you know, a bunch of shows we played there, but it's like, Oh man, like I miss hanging out in that green room and we would eat chicken wings and I would fall asleep and everyone would mess with me. And it's like, I keep the motivation by thinking about stuff like that where I'm like, I want to get back to this. Need to get back to this. Like there's no like, 
we it, we have to figure it out at some point because uh, the world needs music. Mm. Um, they need to be able to go and see music live because it's that shit saves people's lives. There's people who are lost and like they're like, oh, I found a sense of community in my local scene, and got to figure out a way at some point to be able to safely do that. Um, I don't know what the answer is, but obviously, I don't. We're not going to be playing shows unsafely and putting people at risk because that's just stupid but mm. i'm ready to get back when we're safely able to yeah look yeah i mean i'm glad you guys aren't like i mean i think it was it was a kid rock like doing stupid shit trapped all there's these a bunch bands of people doing oh like fucking hell a bunch of stupid shit but um and then there's there's a bunch of uh there's a lot of smaller bands local bands if any of you are listening to this, we're paying attention. We're seeing all the flyers you're posting from the shows you're playing. Mm-hmm. We're not going to play with you mm-hmm. in the future. If you want to get on one of our shows and you played shows during lockdown, fuck you. You're not playing with us. Mm-hmm. Like, stop doing stupid shit. That, that's a problem. I, I, oh, you know, I wish, and it's in every aspect of what's going on in this world, I wish I could actually, you know, slap people but you can't i mean oh yeah i mean it's just it's everything about covid the stupidity around the um you know people that are saying that they don't want to respect the black lives matter movement there is yeah. and the problem is uh, listeners here the, of this show we have a big overarching listening base it's not all we have actually only 20 percent of our listening base is australians as australians we are just as bad, if not worse, in America in a lot of these cases. Um, yeah. I don't want to get deep into it, but Australians, I am appalled at our nonstop racism that has been even in our constitution. Until 1970, yeah. we considered the native people of our country as flora and fauna. That's what they were considered. It's fucking disgusting. Ridiculous. I don't want to get too much into it, but we think everyone in Australia looks at America and goes, oh, look at this circus. Look in your own backyard before you start thrown yeah. rocks um yeah disgusting it's it's not difficult to treat every person as a person mm. treat people how you want to be treated mm. it, and i think the main problem we have is we have a we have a stupidity problem mm. and people have any reason to think that they're better or smarter than everybody else and there's a huge problem with and it comes down to how things get portrayed over social media and things like that where everyone is trying to be to one up somebody else and mm. be like, it's it's about, you know, me versus you and not like, how can we work together? And mm. it's just, everyone wants to beat everybody else. And it's not, life is not a competition. No. We all have to work together or we're all going to go extinct. Yeah. Um, last thing I just wanted to say before we wrap this up is, um, I do hope anyone that owns venues, you know, guys, we, this is a worrying trend um, that I've noticed in Australia as well. <laughs> We need to remember that, you know, we would need to eventually in a safe environment in the right way get back to live music. But an important part of that is the bands are still around. So support your bands in any way you can, if you can. But also yeah, venues, they're important. Like, Yeah, if you, if you have a local venue that you really like seeing shows at, like a lot of the bands, we're fine. We're selling merchandise. People are still buying it. <coughs> We're making it work. Um, these venues, like the the 
the venue itself that has bills that are owed and all that stuff, the venue can't go get a job while the pandemic is happening or the venue can't, there's not a most, they can sell shirts, but it's not like there's a, there's thousands of people worldwide that are like, Oh yeah, I want to order this shirt. Um, so if there's a venue that's local to you that you care about, help them message them. If they have a page, find out how you can help. Like maybe there's, maybe they have a GoFundMe or something to try to keep them, them afloat. Maybe you can, if they don't, maybe you can put one together, do something because your venues are going to close. And what's going to happen is they're either going to get bought up by land developers who are going to try to turn them into condos. They're, the venue is going to get bought by, you know, large music corporations like Live Nation or whoever you might have in Australia who are going to, you know, oh, yeah, well, what, what they're going to book your bands. They're going to pay people way less. They're going to charge you way more to get in. The the atmosphere is going to change because it's suddenly it's a corporate entity that doesn't want to have lawsuits. So it's like, oh, you're not going to be allowed to mosh. You're not going to be allowed to stage dive. They're going to have outside security come in that's going to kick you out for, you know, you, you crowd surfed. And it's like, that's it. You're out of here. And I've seen it happen to venues. And it's that's going to start happening if people don't try to save these venues. Because if we can't play anywhere, then, like, that's it. What are we going to do? It's nuts. Um, yeah, let's finish, as I finish with everyone, on a light note. We're going to get Devin yeah. in, um, into some light moods. Um, last thing I want to say, everyone respect each other, love each other. I just wanted to, um, yeah. And by the way, this has been great. Uh, loving this. Um, now. Oh, having, having a nice time. What I do here now, Tom had this as well. Um, you're the 135th guest I've had. Now, 135. 134 before you have had this same segment, okay? All right. We're going to test and find out if I was going to hang out with you for a day, what would make you tick, okay? So it is a choice of two. You can justify it. You don't need to. Some are going to be easy. Some are going to be hard. Now, All right. I start off with, are you going to have a pizza or are you going to have a burger? Oh, pizza, hands down. Oh, that was easy. Um, ribs or brisket? Are the ribs St. Louis style or Memphis style? Well, being an Australian, um, I'm going to roll the dice and go Memphis. I'm going to go ribs. Okay. Um, chicken or beef? Beef. Soft taco or crunchy taco? Depends on what's in it and what kind of shell it is, but I will say, say we're just going to Taco Bell, I'm getting a crunchy taco every time. Okay. Smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? I like smooth. I don't I don't want to be having crunch in my sandwich. <laughs> yeah, all these bits. That's just, that is, <laughs> crunchy peanut butter is just peanut butter that somebody got lazy with and they didn't finish making it all the way. It really is. It, 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 it's shit is a crock. It's just big lumps of shit in my fucking sandwich i don't want it like i don't need it would you want lumpy butter (laughs) (laughs) um okay uh coffee or tea tea what about a beer or a whiskey i don't drink i will drink a seltzer hey respect man i'm uh i'm a very i'm a recovering alcoholic myself so respect respect to you too uh much love there um Spend the day at the beach or spend the day at the snow? 
I love the snow. Really? I, I live near the beach now, mm-hmm. and I've not been <laughs> since I've moved here because I don't like sand. I grew up in uh, Virginia Beach on the East Coast when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So we'd always go to the beach, and I'd come back and have sand on me for hours. And I'm like, I just hate it. It gets everywhere. So I'm like, eh. but I love snow because no matter how cold it is, you could always just put more clothes on. That's true. That's very true. And I like driving in it because it's kind of like driving a boat. <laughs> and I like watching other people that have no idea what they're doing. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like <laughs> doing donuts. <laughs> um, you're going to have a meal. Would you rather cook at home or dine out? If you can, like pretend COVID's not around and all of this, just you've got the option for one meal today. You're going to go out and have it somewhere or are you going to have it at home? Um, I'd, I'd probably cook if I have the option to just make whatever I want. Mm-hmm. I would cook. I, think I, I enjoy cooking. Just uh, something about just taking something everybody can get at the store and just making something completely very special. It's like, oh, I this is you put the work into it. I think it, it usually ends up being more enjoyable. Um, like, but you know, I like, I know how I like my steak cooked. Mm-hmm. I, that's why I never order a steak. If I go to a restaurant, cause I'm like, it's going to suck. Mm. Even if it, even if it doesn't suck, it's not going to be like what I wanted. So I'm very particular about that. Like I do, I do love going out to eat and I miss being able to do that regularly. But, um, yeah, nice, nice home cooked meal. Mm. Nice. Um, new movie comes out. Would you rather watch it at home on the couch or in the cinema? I really love going to the theater to see a movie. Like you go during that, like middle of the day, there's no one else there. And you're just like, I have the whole room to myself. I love that. Um, one of the theaters near us is open and like, there's no chance in hell I'm going, mm. but the one theater was, there's two open actually, but one of them was playing like older movies and they were playing scream. And I'm like, Oh, I'm like, I can see fucking scream in the theater so bad, but there's like 0% chance that I'm just going to go sit in a fucking movie theater right now. Mm. Um, and then there's a movie theater that I that is like two blocks from my house that was closed from like the start of the pandemic until they just opened and they're playing Tenet. And I'm like, fuck, I want to see that. But I'm like, I'm not going. Can't do it. No, I want to see that movie too. Um, anyone seen it? Let me know because I'm hearing contrasting reports, but it looks dope. Um, okay, we've got one more before we get into some music and movie ones. Are you a cat or a dog person? I like both. I We have a cat. His name's Odin. He's gigantic. Um, so I would, I would say more so a cat person cause they're less work. Mm-hmm. Um, dogs are great. Um, but it's the cat. You're like, he's going to do his own thing. I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah. I'm going to feed him and do all that stuff and we're going to play, but I don't have to take him on a walk. I don't have to, um, Especially like to go to the bathroom, like, you know, our yard doesn't have a fence. So I'm like, okay, well, I have, I'd have to walk the dog and do mm-hmm. that. And I did that years ago in like one of my first apartments, like dog wanted to go outside all the time. And I'm like, I don't know if he has to pee or if he just wants to walk. And it was, especially in the wintertime, I was like, I hate this. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm a, I'd say cat person. 
Um, but I love, I love them both. Now, a couple of movie ones, then we'll smash into a couple of music ones. Terminator or Predator? Terminator. Rambo or Rocky? Rambo. I just watched the new one and it was it's okay. It was taken starring Rambo. Yeah, basically. Yeah. I liked it though. The, the, I didn't mind it. The the sequel, the names of all of them drive me nuts. <laughs> At least Terminator, it's Terminator, Terminator 2, Terminator. <laughs> then they, they did kind of fuck it up and like Genesis and Terminator. Salvation. I still see the I still need to see the newest one because I did like Genesis, so it was pretty good. Yeah, I'm not um, willing to put myself through the new one because I, when I saw the trailer I went, Oh, I don't know. Did you did you watch Terminator Genesis? Was that the one with the female Terminator? That was that was Terminator three. Yeah, that's the one where the, uh, he's got the coffin, isn't it? Term, Arnie's got the coffin. He puts the big coffin on, and he's um, got the the gun I think, going. I think so. Okay, I think that's they, did, they did the one after they did the one after that with Christian Bale. That was like yeah, eh. yeah, yeah. That's Genesis, the one with the coffin. I, Genesis is the one after that because they did a, oh the new one is the sixth one they did a, the fifth one Holy which is Genesis which is really good really I watched it several times because so I like really enjoyed it because it's they do a lot of going back to stuff that's happening in like the first Terminator like from different perspectives it's pretty good ooh okay it was it was a fun watch okay everyone listening you got a bit of homework this week uh we need to watch genesis and we'll come back and talk about it next week wow okay that's i'm excited i like watching going back and i've probably seen it but it obviously has passed my memory um i yeah i because I, I went in expecting it was going to suck because i didn't like the christian bale one but that one was pretty good christian bale one was salvation i think from memory um, yeah yeah that's it yeah uh freddie or jason jason i've got two jason tattoos no mm. freddie tattoos Love them both, but even though even though both movies are kind of goofy, I always took Jason more seriously. Like, yeah, I w- it would piss me off if I was getting murdered and the guy killing me is like cracking jokes. I'd be like, "What the fuck, man!" <laughs> when they did the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, um, mm. I went to the theater and I was like, "Cool, maybe they're gonna do this where it's like it's that idea, but they're gonna have like actually like scary Freddy." And as soon as the guy cracked the first joke, I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> I remember. Why? I remember going to the cinema to see Freddy versus Jason. Oh yeah, and I, I saw that. I think it's an enjoyable movie. I have, they have the James and the Bob ripoff, but it's yes. an enjoyable movie. But the main reason I went, I think, was because of the soundtrack. Because I just remember oh, seeing yeah. the CD. Mm. Jamie Jossa from Hatebreed. He, whatever stock was left over of the soundtracks he bought all of them mm-hmm. so he has a, a ton of those that he like signs at like conventions and stuff and sells them what <laughs> yeah well that is also back when soundtracks were a fucking thing man that was back oh when. yeah 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 i remember i remember buying like the spawn soundtrack mm-hmm. i think the spawn soundtrack might have been the first like actual piece of music that i purchased on my own really going the very beginning of the, the discussion here. Um, yeah. Cause I was, I love spawn growing up and there was the, the movie I thought was great when I was a kid and they had the soundtrack and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to buy the spawn soundtrack on cassette. And it's got like Slayer. Cause all the songs were mashups. Yeah. Like it was, yeah. it was like an electronic artist plus 
like a metal band. So you had like Slayer and uh, I want to say there was Filter was on it. It was it was it was it was a cool little soundtrack. I remember Silverchair was on it, and this is this shows my age. I had it. Do you remember Mini Disc? Yeah, I had it on Mini Disc. That soundtrack. I don't know why. I remember seeing those, and I would think like this was this is gonna get lost in my CD player. <laughs> Like any of the ones that just like mm-hmm. fed it into the slot. I'm like, eh. Yeah, I think I, I got it because someone bought me a stereo that had a mini disc slot in it underneath the cassette. <laughs> so then I had to get into mini disc, which. Yeah, the future. Yeah, it's dead. I don't even think I have the yeah. player anymore. Um, okay, let's get into some music ones because um, I'm taking up a lot of your evening, but I respect you for it, Devin. Um, really do. Having a good time. Um,. Actually, there's one mu- mu- movie, one left before, um, and it's South Park or Simpsons. Simpsons. Oh, nice. OG. I, I like I like South Park a lot, um, but I think there's something beautiful about The Simpsons just being able to be just uh, dumb. And I don't. It, the Simpsons is still funny. Hmm. Um, I think South Park is still funny too, but it's gotten to the point where it's like everything now has to be some sort of a statement. And sometimes, like, I just want to watch something something dumb. Dick and fart jokes, which they still do. Mm. I'm not not dog at South Park at all, but The Simpsons is just like a timeless show, especially that that the era where you had guys like um, John Swartzwelder and Sam Simon, like you know guys writing on the show that were just it was untouchable stuff that just still holds up today. It's still a banger. I do think Hill though is better than both shows. Mm, yes, yes, yes. Um. Okay, Slayer or Pantera? Mm, that's hard. Um, I gotta say, I think I'd, I think I gotta go with Pantera because Slayer, even though they're one of my favorite bands. I think that Slayer has put out more songs that I don't care for hmm. than Pantera has. Hmm. Um, Pantera has a smaller, more focused dis- discography, I think. Um, that, that's that's a tough one, though. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've growing up, I was more into Pantera than Slayer, but I've seen Slayer once live, and it was on the yeah. God Hates Us All tour. And that was officially the loudest show I've ever fucking been to. It was yeah. nuts, man. Oh. Yeah. Long long lived their music, though. Both bands. Um, oh, yeah. All right. Metallica or Megadeth? Metallica. Oh, that was easy. Quick, quick and fire. That's, that's easy. Metallica's, Metallica is both, which I, I say this sometimes, uh, Metallica is both my favorite and least favorite band. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but Megadeth, they've got some cool songs, but I for the most part, just don't care for them. They put out a lot of turds. Mm. Um, I think their best song is for, for me, I love the song angry again, which is on the, uh, last action hero soundtrack. Yes, it is. I yep. think that they wrote just for that, that movie. Mm. Um, that song kicks ass, but there's sometimes where you're like, eh, what the hell's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> it's... Which great, you know, Metallica done the same thing. They've put out some turds, but, uh, I go back and listen to Metallica and I'm like, Fuck yeah. I go back and listen to Megadeth, and it's just like, I like the song. <laughs> so, you know, I, I just, you know, I'm, 
I'm the same with Metallica. I can always go back and listen to it. But one thing about Megadeth is I always just look at Dave and think, just get happy, man. You, dude, you've had a career, man. Just stop harboring that shit about Metallica, dude. Like, move the fuck on. Mm. Like, fuck. Anyone that sees Dave Mustaine or knows him, give him a fucking hug. Um, Cannibal Corpse or Black Dahlia Murder? I love both bands, but Cannibal Corpse. I mean, without Cannibal Corpse, a lot of what we do does not exist. A lot of what they do does not exist for Black Dahlia. Um, nothing but respect for Black Dahlia. That's a that's a band whose lineup has changed a lot over the years, and they mm. still manage to keep fresh. Like their their new guitar player, Brandon Ellis, is fucking just unbelievable at guitar. But last year, I saw Cannibal Corpse in San Francisco on tour with uh, Morbid Angel and um. Who else were they with? Um, regardless, Eric Rutan was playing guitar for him, and it was just like the most fucking insane thing I've ever seen in my life. They sounded so fucking good. And it's just like there's no – like I could only hope to get to like that point in a career to where I still sound that good. So Cannibal Corpse, 100% of the way. What about uh, Terra or Madball? Terror. Yeah, buddy. Shout out to Martin. Last week's guest was Martin uh, from Terror. Yeah, he's he is one of my favorite guitar players for like as far as riffing. He's got a really strong right hand, and I I, I love that shit. And he loves pointy guitars just as I do. <laughs> um. Okay. Last music one, and then we have four left. And this one is Behemoth or Demu. Tough. I would say Behemoth. I like more of their songs, but I think like Progenies, The Great Apocalypse, is just like that song fucking kicks ass. Um, Demu's done some great stuff, but I, I remember seeing seeing both of them, seeing Behemoth a couple times, and just the whole time you're like, "What the fuck? This is sick!" And then you watch the I've seen Demu once, and I was like, "Okay, yeah." I think I think it was actually behemoth and demi borgir like back to back like so i had to watch them after behemoth and i was just like all right <laughs> sound the same i've seen they were good but it was it was it was it's a hard act to follow i've seen behemoth uh twice demu twice and twice with behemoth being like this is outstanding demu twice gone well that was music um yeah like, but having seen like video of them playing like with an actual orchestra mm, mm-hmm. is like mm. phenomenal. I think that's like the the true way you should be able to see that band. Mm. Um, okay, a star, you're playing a show. Do you prefer stage dives happening around you or mic grabs happening around you? Stage dives because people grab my mic and then it never gets put back on the stand right, and then the stand ends <laughs> up playing at the floor, and then you're like, damn it, I I like both, but stage dives. Um, you're gonna go to a show. Are you going to watch it from the pit or by the sound desk? Depends on who I'm seeing. Okay, um, you're uh, seeing Metallica. I'm going to get as close as I possibly can because um, it's Metallica in 2020 or in 2021, if that's when we have shows again. It's going to sound like shit, so <laughs> I'd rather just be closer. Um, now, next one, the second last one, technically you need one to go with the other, but let's imagine you can only do one. Are you going to tour for the rest of your life or just record music for the rest of your life? Tour. Yeah, fuck yeah. Nice. Like, I, it's, 
I recording I, I think is a pain in the ass to me. Like I like writing. Mm-hmm. I don't like the actual act of tracking and being like it's got to be perfect. Live is just like I'm just having fun with my friends, and if I could do that for the rest of my life, sick. Fuck yeah. Um, and the last one, I'm going to give you your all-time favorite album. Now, the way I give it to you is the way you have to listen to it every time you want to listen to it. You're either going to have it on CD, vinyl, or on your phone. I would say on my phone because I can listen to it anywhere I'm at. I can listen to it on a plane if I'm flying somewhere. I can listen to it in my car, which I can do with a CD, but I can listen to it while I'm walking around the store. I can listen to it at the gym. Um, I, I love vinyl. Um, I like CDs too, but just the, the convenience of being able to listen to something with great quality anywhere I am, I, you can't beat that. I do want to own it physically on vinyl, but just being able to hear it wherever is important to me. I should in future incorporate a fourth one, which was cassette. So shout out to everyone of our generation who used to have to deal with cassettes. Kids, I don't think you understand cassettes. Yeah, imagine putting a, imagine putting a CD in your CD player and then you're listening halfway through it and all of a sudden the CD gets eaten. <laughs> and it's just dead. What about when you took it out? You took it out and someone was still caught in the machine. You're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. You're like, well, this is fucked. Granted, CDs get messed up too. I think I bought Master Puppets four or five different times. Yeah, they used to get scratched. so much that it gets worn out. There was also that thing with a cassette, which I guess is similar to the vinyl, and you had to flip it from side A to side B. You're like, ah. Yep. You lose the whole momentum. Um, Yeah. Dude, um, we pretty much... Just shy of two hours. I'm sorry it went that long. I didn't want to stop you because... Oh, no problem. I'm... Dude. My my stream starts tonight in like five minutes, so perfect perfect timing. <laughs> uh, um, but i got to say thank you, not only for the time, the effort, but also um, just how great of a guest you are. You, you and Tom, while different people, different personalities, you both are, have, are outstanding guests. Um, I had no doubt you were going to be good, um, exceeded every expectation, free flowing, fun, um, in depth. Um, you, you've made me a very happy podcaster today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's, it's been fun. I'm glad to get to talk to somebody about music. It's, it's a nice escape for, you know, two hours. Mm. Oh, you're a fucking legend, dude. Um, again, appreciate it. But I just lastly want to say, um, stay safe, a lot of love. You too. And um, I'll be in touch because down the track, let's do a part two, brother. Hell yeah. Fuck yeah, brother. See you later. All right, you take care.
So that was my chat with Devin of the Acacia Strain. At the end there, you heard the band's track Feed a Pigeon, Breed a Rat, which is from their most recent release titled Slow Decay. Second track you heard was called Bitter Pill, which is from the band's album Grave Bloom. And the last track you heard was Send Help, which is from the band's release Coma Witch. Now's the part of the show where I spark that thing inside you to get out and support the band that's been on the show. So if you enjoyed the music, or you enjoyed the conversation at the end there, now's your chance. Get online, stream it, download it, consume this outstanding discography that Devon and the Acacia Strain do. If you're into physicals, get online, get yourself a CD, get yourself a vinyl. And lastly, if you're into merch, there is so much you can cop make sure you get online and grab some of that as well. Now I need to take this moment to thank Devin again. Thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. Look forward to touching base with you soon and smashing out a part two. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 136. Done, dusted, all wrapped up locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So, If you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.